This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Welcome. It is great to be together uh, with you. Fall is in the air, and uh, it's good to get together this morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, along with Rob earlier, I just want to extend a welcome to you if you're new here. Numbers of you are new. And uh, just say thanks for coming. It's our joy to have you with us. And uh, you're coming in on the second week of about a month-long series or so where we're looking at the book of Proverbs. And we're looking specifically at passages that have to do with uh, the home. So last week we uh, addressed husbands from a number of various passages. And uh, today uh, I'm going to address wives, but there will be things that will be relevant uh, for all of us, whether you are a wife or not. Uh, there will be things that are relevant for all of us today. Thanks. Uh, so let's. Uh, so I want you to turn to Proverbs 31. And if you don't have a Bible... If you pull the, uh, uh, under the chair in front of you is a Bible, you can pull it out and turn to page 318 for Proverbs 31. But let me begin with prayer. God, we come to you today and we pray for fresh truth and open eyes and soft hearts to your word, Lord. Uh, And we ask that you would speak to all of us today uh, from this word, that you would apply it to our lives and that you would give us a real clear picture of your purpose, uh, both for men and women today, God. And we pray most of all, you would show us your savior, uh, our savior, your son, Jesus Christ, and his work for us. And may his work motivate and inform and be the foundation for all that we do, we pray. So fill us with your spirit and give us responsive hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, some of you have never heard of Proverbs 31. You're new, maybe you're not a Christian, you're checking out the Bible. You're, this is all new to you, so that is great. We are, we are th- thrilled that you are here. But I have a question for the ladies who've heard of Proverbs 31. When I said turn to Proverbs 31, how did you feel? This isn't an open discussion, it was just a question. So thank you for not having dialogue with me on it, but... Uh, What are you anticipating now that we have our Bibles open to Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31? What are you anticipating? My my hunch is that there's a variety of responses. There are some ladies in the room that are saying, yes, I'm glad you are finally teaching on this. You've never taught on it. It's true. I've never taught on this. As far as I remember, I've never taught on this passage of Scripture. She says it's about time to talk about this passage and what it says to us as women. Some are leery, thinking, okay, um, I think this is going to be good. I trust it's going to be helpful. This is called Grace Church. So I think it's gonna, there's going to be grace in the application of this passage. And some are considering, uh, and my head wasn't looking around during the prayer, but some are considering leaving. Uh, right now, there are ladies who, are, who associate this passage with guilt and condemnation. And so you find this passage discouraging. And I, I've known that. I mean, I've been aware of that. This, this summer, I mean, I was in a couples group that met for a few weeks. And um, 
and I was leading this group of couples, and we were talking about to the wives that were in the group about being a godly wife, and I asked them, these are very godly women, respect them all, and I asked them, what do you think about Proverbs 31? And they were just honestly saying, yeah, when I hear that, I feel some kind of pressure and not measuring up. These were very godly ladies saying, you know, that, sometimes I struggle with that. Well, I looked on the internet, and I was astounded at the level of struggle. The number of articles on the internet that's, that say, literally entitled, I hate Proverbs 31, Christians. Uh, I, I hate the Proverbs 31 woman. And maybe, maybe that's honestly how you feel. I, I, I'd recommend different language uh, to describe any portion of the God-breathed word. But, uh, but, if, but I can understand that maybe you feel like, hey, that's discouraging to me. Uh, so I'm praying that God will meet us today. And Proverbs 31 is the word of God. It does not meet, need me to redeem it. The Bible needs no redemption. However, I pray that your understanding of this passage will be redeemed, ladies, if you struggle in any way with it. And this will become a passage that, that sings in your soul as we study it today. I believe that's God's will because this is God's word. God's word is always good, especially in light of the gospel. So uh, let's read this passage and then we will pray. Verse 10, Proverbs 31. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm All the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow For her household, for all her household is clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. For many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands 
and let her works praise her in the gates. This is God's word. Well, let's start with the context of this passage. This is not a passage written to women. This is a passage written to men. This is a passage written to single men. If you go to the beginning of the chapter, verse 31, you read the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So this king, his mom, is teaching him something he's recording. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? I just sort of hear that like an Italian mom saying that. What are you doing, my son? I hope that wasn't ethnically insensitive. I did, I'm, I'm not Italian, so I probably don't have a right to make that joke. But anyway, I could just, that's what I hear. I hear that being read. What are you doing? I, to, talking to Tony. But what are you doing, my son? What are you doing? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do you do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings? So she's instructing her son. And then in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find it begins to, to this son speaking about finding a wife. Now, many scholars say that 10 through 31 is a continuation, is probably still an instruction to the son. But some say it's not, that it's a separate addition, even if that's the case. The book of Proverbs is written for a parent to instruct a son. Most of it's a father to a son. So this my son language happens through the whole book, especially early on. So this is not a passage written or addressed to women. It's written to single men who are looking for a wife. And it is a contrast uh, to the previous chapters, in earlier chapters, the, the Proverbs have warned the single man against the adulterist, against the prostitute. So the earlier part of the book, chapters, in fact, have been outlining, do not go to the bed of the adulterist. Do not be drawn in by the seductive language of the prostitute who, who will only devour you. And so now we come... And and the passage teaches, so instead of going to the prostitute or instead of sleeping with the adulteress and being drawn in uh, by their seductive speech and appearance, instead, look for this kind of a woman. So in the first place, it is a passage written to single men. If we as a church were to start a ministry and call it the Proverbs 31 ministry, it would be a ministry to young single men with tote bags that say Proverbs 31, like we said last week. It it wouldn't be a women's ministry. It would be a men's ministry, hashtag P31 or whatever you want to call it. That's, it would be a ministry to men. So that's the first point that I think is worth considering, ladies. Here's the second point. This is a poem. It's a poem. Now, you don't know it's a poem in English, but if if we were reading Hebrew, what we would realize is that this is an acrostic poem. An acrostic is where each line 
or verse starts with a different letter of the alphabet. So if this was, well, it's interesting, verse 10 does start with an A in English, and excellent wife. So verse 10 would be A. Verse 11 would start with a word that that starts with B. Verse 13 would be a word that starts with C. So it's an acrostic poem. It's not a biographical sketch of someone that everybody knows. Because it is poetry, it is describing the ideal woman. It is describing the perfect woman. There are no flaws, no inadequacies, no weaknesses or sins represented in this poem. It's a poem and she is understandably beyond reach. There is no one that lives this out perfectly in their lives. There are no weaknesses in this woman. She is Wonder Woman. It is the ideal of what a young man is to look for. Now, some one author I read said, you know what? This seems really unfair that it's saying what to look for in a woman. How, how come there's no chapter that says what a man is supposed to be like? Where, where, there's the perfect lady. Why is there no chapter on the perfect man to which the author responded? You're right. There is no chapter for men to look at at the perfect man. There are rather four books. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so there is a very clear standard for what the perfect man is to look like. We don't have a poem. We do have a sketch of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, it's a poem of a person that a wise man, a lady, describing a lady that a wise man should look for. Don't be driven by your lusts, or the early chapters. Rather, value what God values. And look for a woman like this. I also want to point out, notice what is absent from the list of the perfect woman, the ideal woman. Notice what is absent. The author doesn't say... Look for a woman that's hot. That's just not in there. As a matter of fact, beauty, while, you know, not irrelevant, is certainly unimportant in this chapter. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. The word can be translated even meaningless. And he's not saying that that beauty in and of itself has no value, but it's simply saying that it's vain. It is fleeting. It is changing. It is, uh, it is temporary. It is temporary. Notice what else is not mentioned. Her sexual prowess or her sexual abilities. The, 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 the passage does not objectify the female for male consumption. She is revered for her character and her accomplishments. Notice that. I think that's very important to consider. So to sum up, it's written to men. It's a poem, young, single men. It's a poem of the idealized woman. And by idealized, we mean godly character and godly actions. So what I want to do is read through it and and pick out what are these godly character and actions. And then I want to talk about how to interpret this and apply it in the conclusion. So 
I'm kind of going to go verse by verse, but not exactly, because what I want to do is like several verses are on the same theme and they don't follow one another because I guess the author, this is inspired, but uh, it's perfect. But I guess the author's like, well, I don't, that doesn't really fit good under B, so I'm going to put it under W, you know? So since you're working with an acrostic poem, sometimes the B is very similar to the L, and so I'm going to combine those a little bit, if that makes sense. So here's the first thing we learned, and we talked about this last week with husbands. Number one, she is trustworthy. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find she's far more precious than jewels. So I talked last week to husbands about valuing your wives. Um, The heart of her husband trusts in her. We talked about last week that that verb trust is only used for God, trusting God, except in two places of the Bible. This is one of them. And so that verb translated trust is is a high verb that she is being trusted because she is trustworthy. Number two, she is selfless. Look at verse 12. She does him good. So she does her husband good and not harm all the days of her life. She is oriented to doing him good. She is others oriented. She doesn't compete with her husband, but she is delighting to do him good. She's selfless. Number three, she is enterprising. She is enterprising. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. That is, she is out looking for materials, and we're going to see that she uses those materials to take care of her own family uh, in, like, clothing and bedding and such. And she, she runs multiple businesses, but, uh, but she runs a business that has to do with clothing as well or materials as well. So she's getting supplies. She works with willing hands. One, one commentator said that could be translated, she works with her hands with pleasure. So she's, she's happy to, to do uh, work with her hands. Verse 14, she's like the ships of a merchant. She brings her food from afar. So she's enterprising. Merchant ships go out and sell things and then buy things in return. And that's what she does. We're going to find later that she sells goods. So like a ship, she goes out and sells her goods and then takes her money, buys her food and brings it home. She brings food from afar. So she goes out and sells and then brings food home that she uh, buys. So there was a commercial when I was a young person. So this will date me. This will mean nothing to most of the room, but to the older people in the room, this will mean something. There used to be a commercial with a woman on it. It was a perfume commercial. And she said, I can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. And that's exactly what this lady is doing. She is going out and bringing home the bacon and then coming home and frying it out in the pan as a merchant ship and then coming home food for her family. Verse 16, she, uh, drop down 16, she considers a field and buys it. So she finds a field, she negotiates the price for the field, she purchases the field, and then she makes the field profitable because uh, she plants a vineyard. So she, uh, she, 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 she runs a vineyard, uh, she, she's her own realtor, um, again, she's the perfect woman. She's doing things that, that, that no one really can do. She, she purchases real estate and does agriculture. No one can do all of this perfectly, I should say. Uh, she is hardworking. No surprise. So she's enterprising. She's hardworking. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night. So she's up when it's still dark and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So she's also wealthy. She has servants. We see that shows up more than once here. So she has households. She has uh, ladies in the house that are helping her. 
Now, what's so interesting is she, uh, she rises while it is yet night, verse 15. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. So when does this lady sleep? I, I don't know. She, she is up when it is dark, and she's staying up into the night, um, perceiving that her merchandise is uh, profitable. She works into the evening. Does she ever sleep? It's a poem, people. Verse 27. <laughs> verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's hardworking. She is not just sitting around on Facebook all day or something. She is a hardworking person. And here's a, here's a key to her hardworking. Her hard work is to benefit and to serve others. So she gets up early. Why? To provide food for her, her household, her family, and those who assist her, her maidens. And then we see in this verse as well, in verse 27, uh, she looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. So her, her hard working is to care for those around her. She's not, just, she's not just selfishly building her own kingdom and her own greatness and her own platform and reputation, though she has a, quite a reputation, but, but she is, she's in the service of other people. She's hardworking. She is strong. Proverbs 31 bends uh, some stereotypes, and, and when we look at this, it's helpful because oftentimes we have gender norms that are culturally contrived and not biblically contrived. What is biblical femininity? What is biblical masculinity? And so there are certain cultural norms that we want to impose that often aren't biblical. And I think we see this one right here. Verse 17, she is strong. So strength, many would think that strength is primarily a masculine attribute biblically. But when the portrait of the ideal woman is described, it says she dresses herself, verse 17, with strength. As a matter of fact, in verse 10... When it says an excellent wife who can find, the word excellent, sometimes translated noble, the root of it is strength. Some people even translate it a valiant wife because it's a, a strong woman for a wife is what it literally means, who can find. So 17, she dresses herself with strength, which doesn't mean she just has poison composures, though I assume she does. It says she makes her arms strong. Fascinating. Hey, single man, he's saying, go find a woman that's got guns. I mean, he's saying, literally, she's got strong arms. I find that fascinating. I just find that fascinating. So anyway, she is strong. Why? Well, this woman's working hard, so she needs to be strong for all that she is doing. Uh, Number six, she is industrious. Look at verse 19. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. Um. This has to do with uh, this has to do with sewing. These are, uh, you know, uh, th- these were the tools that one used to make uh, fabric or clothing. So she is industrious. The process of making clothing is described. Number uh, verse twenty-two. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. We may see this later in the series, but th- this is probably pointing more. Uh, at more than she can like sew a duvet or something. It may mean that, but it probably means more than that because it, earlier in the Proverbs, the warning against the adulteress is that she says, come in to my bed, I have covered my bed, I have perfumed my bed, inviting the, uh, really the fool, the simpleton, inviting the fool into her, her lair. 
into her bedroom, her boudoir, uh, but really it's a trap that's going to seize him. So the godly woman makes bed coverings as well, but it is for her husband and her. So there's probably a little bit more going on there, but nonetheless, she's industrious. She is making things. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So she is sewing and making things and selling them. She's industrious. Number seven, she's compassionate. On top of all of this, verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's got a heart and an ability to care for those who are in need. She's very others-oriented. She orients to her husband. She orients to her household. She orients to her maids, those who serve her. She orients to the needy. She's very outwardly oriented. Uh, Number eight, she is supportive. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She is uh, saying something about her husband, which says something about her. Her husband has a governing role in the city. The gates are like city hall. So her husband's doing his deal at city hall. He's an elder in the city. He's a governor of some sort in the city. And the point is that she's doing all this stuff. He's a community leader, but she's doing all this stuff. In other words, he can do his thing because she's doing her thing. She's a helper. She's supportive. She's united to him. She's making a significant contribution herself. But all that she's doing is cooperative with her husband, supportive. She is his helper. Verse 9, she is prepared. Look at verse 20. I'm sorry, number 9. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household. All her household are clothed in scarlet. What's it saying? She's ready for winter. She's ready for winter. She's already got her family clothed. Verse 25, this this verse is something else. Uh, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She's so prepared. She's so wise. When she thinks of the future, she's not fretting. She's laughing at the days to come because everything is in order in her life. It is a poem. It, It is a picture of the perfect ideal lady. Verse 10, I'm sorry, I keep saying verse. Number 10, she is wise. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So what she says is wise and she's also kind with her tongue. A lot of Proverbs has to do with how we use our speech. And so she's not the contentious wife. Uh, She is not the angry person or the slanderer or the gossip or the malicious talker like men are described in women throughout the book. Rather, kindness is on her lips. So she's being, she's being contrasted with much of what is warned against in the book of Proverbs. And finally, number 11, she is honorable. How do we know that? Well, verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. We talked about this last week. Her husband also, he praises her. Uh, many women have done excellently. You surpass them all. So we, we talked about that one last week. That, that husbands are to create an environment where they are thanking God for their wife and honoring their wives uh, for what she does. So to review, she's trustworthy, selfless, enterprising, hardworking, strong, industrious, compassionate, supportive, prepared, wise, and honorable. She is a concluding poem that depicts what the whole book is about. 
What's going on in Proverbs 31 is that we are seeing a description of what the entire book, those are the values, the characteristics of wisdom that the whole book has talked about. And now they are being personified in the life of this woman. And then we get this this summary statement. And before I read you the summary statement, I want to read you this quote about, uh, about how the chapter concludes. John Kitchen, who is a scholar and has written a, a thick commentary on Proverbs, he says, Having skillfully instilled a gnawing hunger to know what makes this woman tick, the poet now reveals the source of her excellence. Above all else, that which makes her an excellent wife is her fear of the Lord. It is her spiritual life which gives strength and beauty to the rest of her being. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The book closes where it began. The book closes with a a picture of a woman who describes the entire book. Look back at chapter 1. This is how the book begins. Chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the whole book is about the fear of the Lord and how the fear of the Lord leads to knowledge and to wisdom. And the book concludes with, check this lady out. Check her out. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That is the highest calling of a lady and a man, is to fear the Lord. Ladies, that is your highest calling. Your highest calling is not to be industrious. Your highest purpose is not to be hardworking or prepared or compassionate. Those are important, but that's not your highest calling. Your highest calling isn't to be a wife. Your highest calling, ladies, isn't to be a mother. Your highest calling isn't to succeed in the marketplace, as this lady has done. Your highest calling is to fear the Lord, because a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The most praiseworthy thing about this woman, what the entire book of Proverbs is calling us to, is to fear the Lord. And that is the key to not only interpreting the book, but to interpreting the poem about the perfect wife. It is to understand that foundational is to be fear, is to fear the Lord. Well, what is it to fear the Lord? It is to revere God. It is reverence for God. The fear of the Lord is to be in awe of God. Get this. To fear the Lord is to be in awe at the grandeur and the glory and the magnificence of the Lord, so that I look to him and say, he is glorious, he is perfect, he is all-powerful and holy, and I am very, very small. The fear of the Lord is living life humbly, aware of our need for God. 
if you read Proverbs 31 and you do not walk away aware of the power of God, the glory of God and your need for him, then you are misreading the text and misreading the chapter and misreading the book. The fear of the Lord is looking away from ourselves in the first place and looking to him. The most important thing about this woman is not what she does for others. It's not what she does for her husband. It's not what she does for her children. It's not what she does for her employees. It's not what she does for the needy. That's all horizontal stuff. And the problem is we look and read the horizontal stuff and miss the whole book is about vertical The whole chapter is about vertical. What is most praiseworthy about her is that she is looking to the Lord and that she is fearing him. That is the starting place. That is the foundation that leads to everything else. Single men, look for a woman who primarily fears the Lord. Single men, be someone who primarily fears the Lord. Single ladies, be someone who fears the Lord. Seek to cultivate the fear of the Lord in your life. Married ladies, seek to fear the Lord. That is to live more aware of him and who he is and how great he is than you are looking to yourself. Married men, seek to treasure your wife. Thank God for your wife. Entrust your heart to your wife. Honor your wife. All the stuff we see in this chapter geared to married men. Seek to do that to cultivate her vertical relationship with God. The Lord. And ladies, don't compare yourself to other ladies. I think the most perverted application imaginable from this passage, to miss the whole point of the book, the whole point, yay, the whole point of the Bible, is to read this passage and start looking horizontally and comparing yourself. That's death. And it's an abusive misreading of the text. That is the exact opposite of the fear of the Lord. When I'm looking and comparing myself to other people, what I am doing, the Bible calls that the fear of man. It means that I am craving approval. I am craving acceptance. I am seeking to feel good about myself or I feel terrible about myself because I'm not better or I don't measure up. And it's looking horizontally. And the Bible calls that the fear of man and it's it's an entrapment. The opposite of the fear of man is the fear of the Lord. She's not praised uh, ultimately because in her heart she's looking around and measuring herself. She's praised because she's looking to the Lord and saying, you are glorious, Lord. Comparison is, is, is is the most inappropriate way to to look at this passage and say, wow, there's Proverbs 31 women all around. Even that language. Really? Well, if there's Proverbs, she's a Proverbs 31 woman, I should, she should be pointing to the Lord. She be, I should be, I should, when I encounter her, I should be encountering someone who is humble before the Lord, not someone who thinks they have their act all together. Or is comparing themselves with others who do. So here's how we respond to the text. I'm going to give you two points of how we respond to this text. And in some ways, this is how we should respond to all texts that, that lay out. This isn't law per se. It's more of a description. But, but passages of Scripture that call us to obey, uh, and that's a lot of the Bible. This is how we should respond to it. Number one, know your identity in Christ. Listen. Ladies, if you read a passage like this and you feel, I can't do this, I'm not like that, I give up. Good. You are start. That's the first step to fearing the Lord. 
Good, you are starting to get it. The fear of the Lord means you see your need for him. You need him. Of course you can't do all of this because this is the portrait, a poetic portrait of the perfect woman. You are a sinner who fails to do what God calls you to do in the Bible. You fail to do what he calls you to do outwardly, as do the men in the room. You fail in your attitudes. You fail in your thoughts. You fail in your words as well. Your actions and your heart meditations never measure up to God's standard. And that's why you need Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. You can never be right with God based on your faithfulness. As a single woman, as a married woman, as a mother, you can never be right with God and have a a solid status with God based on how you're doing as a woman. You can never do that. Your status before God is not based on what you do. Your status, your identity is based on what Jesus has done for you. Listen, when you first believed in Christ, when you, if you're a Christian, when you turned from your sin and you believed in Jesus, here's what happened. All of your sins, all of your failures in word, thought, and deed were placed on Christ. And he died in your place, receiving the judgment that was due you. And freedom comes with saying, I don't measure up to God's standard, but Jesus died for those sins. And when you believe in him, the Bible says that he declares you righteous. That means you are justified. You are declared right before God. So your status before God because of Christ is you are perfectly righteous. That's how God views you. He views you joined to his son, united to his son, with his son. And as a believer before God, your status is is righteous. You've got to hear this. You've got to get this before you read a passage like this or any passage of law in the Bible. You've got to get that when Christ sees you, he sees you as united to his son. So if you're a woman, he sees you as a perfect single lady. He sees you as a perfect wife because you're united to Christ and all of his righteousness is yours and all of your sins have been placed upon him. He sees you as a perfect Mother, some of you are bristling. You cannot even hear those words. You cannot even imagine it, but you need to, you need to marinate in the grace of God. You need to soak in your justification for a little bit here with me for a moment. You are a perfect mother in Christ's sight joined to him. You are a perfect single woman. You are a perfect widow, whatever your status is in Christ's, in God's view, united to Christ, united to Christ. You are divorced and perfect in Jesus. That's how God relates to you. You are accepted because of the work of God. You are viewed as a faithful woman, a patient woman, a loving woman, a selfless woman all the time, pure in word, thought, and deed because of Christ. And so when you pick up Proverbs 31, you have to say, this is my status before God. I'm not earning a thing. I'm not seeking to do a thing to make myself right with God. I'm opening my Bible already accepted, already loved, already welcomed, already declared righteous by the grace of God. The Proverbs 31 woman is not the woman who can do it all. She's the one who knows she can't do it all. And that's why the most praiseworthy attribute of her is she fears the Lord. That's the point. She fears the Lord. I love what author David Prince said. He's a, he teaches preaching at a Southern Baptist seminary. And he wrote, the anti-Proverbs 31 mom, he was just speaking about moms. 
The anti-Proverbs 31 mom is not the one who is aware of her own inadequacy, struggling with the kids, time management, and household management, not knowing how she's going to get everything done. The anti-Proverbs 31 mom is the one who looks at the list in Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, abstracted from the gospel, and sees a performance checklist to prove her superiority as wife and mother. He says, you want to be anti-Proverbs 31. It's not that I don't measure up. It's that you remove the gospel. You remove your status before God. You remove the death and resurrection of Christ. And you look at this as a checklist of everything you've got to be to, do, to be accepted by God. And when you don't see that, you're condemned. And once we feel condemnation, is it any wonder that someone would use inappropriate language But the sentiment is understandable. I hate the Proverbs 31 woman. That's understandable. If there's no gospel, if there's no gospel, wouldn't we say I hate a lot of the Bible? Because it condemns me without hope. But I don't read that Bible. I read a Bible that tells me that my Savior has forgiven my sins and given me new life. So when I read any passage of the scripture, I must always come knowing my identity in Christ. The Proverbs 31 woman is not the woman who feels good about herself because she's doing all the stuff. She's the one she, who knows she can't, and so she runs to Jesus in trust. Number two, live out your identity in Christ. Know your identity in Christ, and then live out your identity in Christ. Jesus died not only to forgive your sin, but to unite you to himself and to give you power to change. That's the good news. Gives me power to change. The gospel is filled with hope. If you believe your acceptance before God is measured by how well you were doing against this example, then you will feel condemned. But if you believe your acceptance before God is measured by what Christ has done for you, not your performance, then his performance, then you come to the Bible feeling loved, aware of his mercy and grace, sensing his welcome filled with thoughts of his performance for you, and then you will want to grow in godliness. When I know what God has done for me, when I'm not obeying for his acceptance, but I'm confident I already have his acceptance, it produces a desire to grow in holiness, a desire to be like my Savior who's given himself for me. When you do that, when you first know your identity, you will then seek to live out of your identity, and you will read this poem with hope, with anticipation, with joy, with faith. How can you read this with faith? Well, here's how. I'm united to Christ. God is at work in me. God has forgiven me and given me power to change. What's he got in store for me? What's he going to do in me? What does he want to do in me that I'll look back a year from now and see how I've changed by his grace? Yes, you repent. Yes, you believe. But it is his grace that changes you. You read this and say, by God's grace, I mean, I want to be selfless. Jesus is selfless. By God's grace, I want to be like that. I want to be loving. I want to be compassionate. God, help me be more compassionate. She gives to the poor. Her hands are stretched out to the needy. Yes, I want. who wouldn't want to be like that? Who wouldn't want to be supportive? Because God has already accepted me in Christ and is conforming me to be more and more like his son. I want to live wisely for his son is my wisdom. First Corinthians says he has become for us wisdom and now I'm united in him. And so I want to live in his power. I want to reflect him. 
I want to steward. Listen, when you, when you are set in your justification, when you are reading this knowing I'm already accepted by God, then the way it changes your reading of the text is you begin to say, okay, look at what she's doing. That's perfect. So how can I look at my life and how can I steward my relationships like this poet, poetic woman is stewarding her relationships? What does godliness look like for me with, if you're married with my husband? Or if you're not, with my job, whether you're married or not, it, with my responsibilities in the marketplace. Or if you're a mother, with my kids, with my household, with those around me who are needy. Okay, Lord, I, I need your help. There are people around me that need me, and I'm incapable of doing this. I, unlike her, I'm going to need some sleep, okay? And so, Lord, I need, uh, I need your help with sleep. We did a whole sermon on that in August. But I need your help with sleep, and then I need your grace to, do, to, to steward the relationships. Then all of a sudden, those around me become, the, I can use my gifts to, to serve. I can say, Lord, look at what you've done in me. Look at what you've done for me. And look at what now you've given me the privilege to lay down my life for others. Work through me. I want to steward the opportunities I have, the relationships I have. The truth is, when you read Proverbs 31, ladies, with your identity in Christ, the pressure is off. To be like somebody else. The pressure's off. The joy is to become more like Christ as he is at work in you. United with Jesus, you want him to live through you. That's John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But attached to him, we can bear much fruit. Who doesn't want to bear fruit? I mean, i got to believe it's, it's the enemy's scheme to badmouth this passage of scripture. And oftentimes it's been the application. It didn't take the enemy. It took bad teaching from Christian men and women uh, teaching this stuff. But I gotta believe that he would like to cut this out and have ladies never read it, never consider it, just feel condemned by it. Because if, if the enemy can get you to wallow in condemnation, you're done. But if you get freedom in your soul and you get your union with Christ in view that I'm attached to him and his life is flowing through me and he's changing me, then this becomes a picture with beauty to it because you begin to see what can happen in the life of someone who fears God, who depends on him, who looks vertically first and says, I need you, and then lets God work through them as we respond to his spirit at work in us. Think about this passage And think about the power of Christ in you. And then you can begin to think, Lord, how can my life count more in terms of making a difference in the lives of others? Depending on the Lord, trusting the Lord so that we look increasingly like him. Whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're moms, whether we're men, whether we're women. We all have to know our identity And once we know identity, live like it makes a difference. If he's the vine and I'm the branches, then it's going to make a difference that I'm connected to the resurrected living Savior who's been exalted on high and has poured out his Holy Spirit to fill me. And yes, I'm a sinner. And yes, I've got a long way to go. But because of the power of the gospel, we're going to make some changes. God's going to change me and conform me to be more and more in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is eminently hopeful. That is glorious. But if we don't approach the scripture with that in view, we will find ourselves condemned rather than anticipatory and hopeful 
and joyful in obeying God. In a book that I cannot recommend highly enough, called Union with Christ by Rankin Wilborn. Yes, I know that's a mouthful. W-I-L-B-O-U-R-N-E, Wilborn. In a book called Union with Christ by Rankin Wilborn, he has an illustration about how this works out in real life. The difference in performing for acceptance versus knowing you're accepted and the energy and power that flows from performing because you are accepted. And his illustration comes from the old show, American Idol. Y'all remember that one? American Idol. He describes what happens on the season finale, which is, if I remember, like two hours long, an hour, 55 minutes of commercials, and five minutes of singing, if, if I recall. But in the season finale, he says, here's what happens. They get up to sing their final song, and the pressure is on. I mean, one missed note could cost you fame, fortune, and everything. So they sing with all of this pressure. Everything is on the line. And you can almost see it on their faces. And then a winner is voted on and declared. And if you remember what happens then... All of the confetti starts coming out. Everybody is standing and applauding. And then the singer comes out and sings the same song one more time. And there is the look of relief on her face and joy on her face. Because she is not performing to win. She is performing having already won. And the difference in that moment having been accepted, having been declared the winner, and then going out with all her energy or his energy and performing in a joyful moment. He says, that is the Christian life. When you are seeking to perform to win God's acceptance, it is pressure. But when you realize that God has already accepted you, then you are to live your life empowered by Christ, filled with the Spirit, living for the good of others in freedom. And ladies, that's how God wants you to read this chapter. That's how God wants you to read. The confetti is coming down because the grave is empty. And you have not the applause of man. You have the welcome of God Almighty who is singing over you today. And it is our moment now as believers to step out forgiven and free, to fear the Lord, to freely acknowledge our inadequacies. Of course we're sinful and inadequate. That's what the cross is all about, to acknowledge our inadequacies, but to say God is at work in me. God has saved me. I am accepted. I am his beloved, and I now can live for his glory, looking to his word with hope and joy and anticipation because of grace. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.